Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast. I am Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Savary. Today on the program, the latest with what's happening in the Ukraine. We are entering almost week three now of Russia's invasion into Ukraine. The latest numbers and statistics, everything that's happening in the region. Plus Florida's new legislation that don't say gay bill, right? I think I just said it out loud. So Beetlejuice three times. What that means, Nick and I will break that down. Nick giving his educational expertise. The man is raring to go about this. Plus, Nick, Kim Kardashian wants us all to get to work. So we'll talk a little bit about uh, Kim K's latest stance uh, and that article that happened in Variety. It went viral, that video. Before I say hello to Nick Savary, let me give a quick thought on that. Uh, Kim, shut up. Uh, so... I get to Nick Savary. Nick, our Scarlet Knights are in the NCAA tournament as of this taping. They get ready to play Wednesday night. I'm fired up. How are you doing, buddy? I haven't talked to you. I feel like I have not talked to you face-to-face in, uh, in, a, in a while. No? Yeah. No, I, it's not since our last taping. I mean, we we text, obviously. We talk about this a lot on the show. But right. yeah, no, just just that back and forth. Actually, in the conversation about Kim Kardashian was you know, from that. Uh, no, we're good, man. Life is good around here. Um, weather's getting warmer. We just had deal at savings. Wonderful. I'll never understand why we turned the clocks back in the first place. No, why I understand why it just like so many things, including the length of the school day and all that good stuff. We need to rethink all this stuff. Yeah. Um, like yeah, right now, no, just excited. stop. Don't go backwards. Don't fall back. Keep it to spring forward. Well, like, whoever invented that clearly doesn't have little children because Mike is obviously you're going through this as, you know, as a young dad. Yeah, you know, throwing things back an hour totally throws everyone off. So the kids took a little time getting used to it. After the first day, everything works itself out. But for sure, 
makes no sense. So listen, as transitionable as we can, uh, you know, everything is going well in this part of the world, but something is happening, obviously, in, in the European part of the world. Uh, obviously, as we enter I, almost week three now of Russia invading the Ukraine, I want to give some latest statistics as of this taping uh, for the people out there who may listen to us to try to get some of their news and information as as you go through your media literacy steps that we always teach here on this program. Uh, this is as of as of this taping, right? Officials from the Ukraine and Russia were set to hold more ceasefire talks uh, as of Wednesday. Moscow expanded its offensive and it pledged it would not pull back before realizing its war aims in full. Um, the, that was a quote directly from the Kremlin. That is very scary to read that sentence out loud. There was a heavy bombing that was reported across the Ukraine. Missiles destroyed an apartment block in the capital of Kiev, a TV tower in the western city of, of Ravine. I think I'm pronouncing that right. If you've seen that video, that viral video now of a guy walking towards the center of downtown and all of a sudden a missile hits a building and he starts running away with his cane. That is what happened. Uh, it was uh, one person died, 12 were injured in that Russian airstrike on that residential building. So Pretty scary stuff. Um, a convoy of about 160 cars packed with civilians left the port of Maripol. Uh, tens of thousands more residents remain trapped in the city. It has no heat, power, or running water right now. It's under constant bombardment. Um, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky uh, will deliver a virtual address to the joint sessions of Congress later today. Um, actually, on Wednesday, he will be doing that. Uh, China has shown an openness to providing Russia with requested military equipment. We're going to get into that in a second, because if you watch the Sunday shows, uh, NSA uh, lead Jake Sullivan uh, had mentioned that he was going to meet with the Chinese uh, counterpart. And those talks were over a seven hour period and very tense. The U.S. is very concerned about uh, China's potential involvement in helping Russia. That would escalate everything further. Uh, Russian missiles smashed into a Ukrainian base near the Polish border Sunday, killing dozens, ramping up tensions now with NATO. As you know, Poland is a member of NATO. Also, some statistical numbers around the damage caused. Russia's invasion has caused more than $119 billion in damage to Ukraine's infrastructure. This is what, according to the, the country's deputy economic minister, you all may have heard about the story about, and this one kind of hits uh, near home, the American journalist and filmmaker Brent Renard, uh, who was working, I believe, at the time for the New York Times. He was shot and killed Sunday while reporting from uh, the Kiev suburb of Irpin. Um, And then also Fox News journalist Benjamin Hall was wounded in Kiev on Monday. So already one journalist uh, dead, another injured um, to all our journalist friends that are working for the different networks or covering this for periodicals and happen to be in Kiev. We've mentioned a bunch that we've spotlighted on the show, but please stay safe. Um, that, that is very scary stuff. Uh, more than 2.8 million people, I'll leave you with this final number, more than 2.8 million people have fled to Ukraine, said the United Nations, with another 2 million are currently displaced inside the country. That I think when it's all said and done, we may have the greatest uh, refugee crisis on our, on our hands uh, with all those statistics. Nick, I just read a bunch of that out loud now. Um, your thoughts, takeaways on some of this as the conflict continues to rise and escalate. And by the way, shout out to everybody who watched our Examining Ukraine episodes on YouTube. Uh, thousands of people tuned into that two-part series that we did, again, with former State Department spokesperson Marie Harf and, and, and military historian and professor Jared Fishman. So check that out on YouTube. But um, 
your 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 thoughts, takeaways as we continue with this conflict, man? Yeah, I, I first echo what you said, just uh, showing appreciation to those who participate or just joined in or um, you know, listened to the last couple episodes we did around Ukraine. You know, the first jarring thing that you shared is something that we had talked about on that previous episode of the role of China. You know, early on, it was it sounded just like talk that China was not supporting Russia in in this troop deployment. Now, as you're sharing, you know, the availability of offering resources to the aggressor here in, in Russia, it says something that we had talked about in that previous episode of is this really a parallel to what China's thinking about with Taiwan? Uh, at the macro level, the larger question we should all ask ourselves is, as a global community, when you have one nation invading another one, what is the, the global response? What, what should be happening? History tells us that we've seen examples of where you know, larger conflicts have happened because of this level of invasion. You know, in the 21st century, we're trying to fight this battle economically. You know, we throw sanctions at Russia. You're having many com- many companies now, you know, withdrawing from their relationships with Russia. Um, but on the other side, flip on the flip side of it, you're seeing also economic relations forming. You know, recently India is now trying to work out essentially in exchange with the with the rupee, their currency, to the ruble, the Russian currency, and all of this is economic factors. This is not taking into consideration the humanitarian crisis. Now, India's biggest problem in this case is the fact that you have a prime minister who's somewhat comfortable, you know, being in this space of being favorable to people who behave like Vladimir Putin, who are are, are comfortable with that ideology. You know, India right now is trying to become a Hindu nationalist state, disregarding the fact that you have Muslims and Christians and people of other faiths in the country. And that that type of problematic attitude is what allows you to then support economically or wanting to get into a relationship economically with a country that's invading another one in the form of uh, Russia. But the other part you've brought up, too, is just the refugee crisis that we're, it's currently going on, people being displaced. What is that going to mean again to the rest of us? You know, we're seeing countries in Europe finding ways to economically support, welcome people into their homes. You know, it's the best of human beings that we see. And unfortunately, like always, we only see it you know, in the matters of crisis. You know, if we actually had shown this level of compassion and humanity to one another, there wouldn't be an invasion. But of course, you have people like Putin because that's how power works. So it's it's jarring. I think the resilience continues from Ukraine, but it is a question of how much longer can this continue to hold up? You know, we we lionize, um, you know, you, you, the Ukrainian president and the, the people there, but it is a massively uphill battle. It's not one that they're favored to win, if I'm going to use a sports analogy, unfortunately. And, you know, the response of the rest of the world is, you're trying to find ways to provide resources and support, but we're not putting troops on the ground. I'm not saying we need to, but we're dealing with essentially an international bully here in Vladimir Putin, who's not going to respond to anything short of force for all the economic damage we want to offer to the to Russia. That's affecting the people. That's not necessarily affecting him. And that's what leaves this situation as it is. At the you same know- time, shout out to the UK with what's going on with Premier Club Chelsea. You know, now Roman Abramovich is going to have nothing to do with the organization. And basically the, the team is frozen. That's in the midst of a sale right now. And that seems to be the attitude that we should be taking with all other Russian assets. That's those things that come to me from what you, you shared. No, you know, um, I was going to chime in on that because um, first, let me let me let me chime in on what you just said. Um, Russian prosecutors have threatened major Western companies. This recently came out from The Wall Street Journal. Uh, that they've been threatening them with asset seizures, 
arresting their corporate leaders who criticize the Kremlin. Uh, we have also seen uh, different reports from different outlets that tens of thousands of Russians have left their country since the start of the war to escape the crackdown from the Kremlin on dissenting voices, but also the economic hardships that are caused by Western sanctions. You know, we mentioned it on a couple of different episodes about some of the corporations that have already pulled out of Russia or at least have cut off services in Russia from Netflix to Apple, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on and on. You can look that up, um, you know, about the different companies that have pulled out. But now the Kremlin's trying to strike back on some of those as they try to leave the country. So pretty crazy there. Uh, We played, I think, in a recent episode of what Trey Yanks reported on Fox News about a journalist could get arrested for reporting misinformation, according to, again, the Kremlin, of of up to 15 years in prison for reporting misinformation on this war. Then recently, uh, what came out was that that uh, news editor that works at Russian State TV, she happened to go behind one of the anchors doing a live segment and held up a sign that said no more war and then some Russian text about how Russia should end this war. And then they quickly cut to like the video that was supposed to play during that segment. It was a it was pretty shocking to see that within, you know, 10 seconds it got, you know, she got kind of taken off of air. Uh, thoughts and prayers, whatever is happening to that young lady right now, because again, we've talked about this before for the people that think that your freedoms are, are, you know, uh, invaded here uh, because you won't get vaccinated. Uh, That girl, uh, lucky if we ever see or hear from her again, after just pulling that stunt. So just think about that again, when you think about freedoms and and the context and the larger context, Um, my takeaways are, and I, I just gave all those statistics. And again, in our show notes page, if you want to find out how to donate to the people of Ukraine, Nick has mentioned a couple of times about Chef Jose Andres's work and what he's doing to feed people that end up coming into the Polish border, et cetera. But there's some great charities out there that are trying to work right now, back channeling ways, you know, through the ceasefire, through the corridors to be able to get families out of there, uh, to get kids, women and children safely, you know, to the Polish border or whatever other countries are taking in refugees. But in our show notes, click on that. You can check out what charities to donate to. Um, a big thing for me has been the level of, like, I still think there's so much misinformation. There's reports of, you know, thousands of Russian troops killed. I heard a report recently that for, for two of the cities that Russia has occupied, at least there's four Russian soldiers per thousand citizens. So to maintain the control that Russia since they've already bombarded it and, you know, however many people fled from a city, there's still more citizens there that are Ukrainian that are opposed to it than Russian soldiers that will be able to occupy it. So how long does that hang on? You know, Nick mentioned the overall theme about how long do they stop, you know, do they fight on in this war? And, you know, when Jared came on the program, he mentioned about the Western border still being open, right? Now we're starting to see, you know, that it may get closed off by Putin. He's starting to make forces and move more towards the north uh, west of Ukraine. So, again, I think this is going to be a recurring topic at the top of our show, at the top of a lot of people's shows. I just I do not see an end in sight unless miraculously one of these ceasefire talks, you know, like similar to Israel, Palestine, that that ended what, six days, seven days Right. And then all of a sudden ceasefire, they agreed on it. Now you haven't heard a peep from the region and still things are still happening in the region. But I just don't see an end in sight here with what you said to respect to Putin not wanting to back down. Zelensky's not backing down. Thousands of Ukrainian people have taken arms 
you know, joining militias and armies and insurgencies, et cetera, et cetera. So where does it, where this goes from here? Um, I think it's just going to stay top of mind. And, you know, like I mentioned, 4.8 million people, potentially 2.8 already fled and, and 2 million displaced within the country. It's a lot of people. And, uh, you know, there's no putting the genie back in this bottle, like I alluded to on another episode. So uh, those are some of my takeaways. I know you had one more thing, Nick, on this. Yeah, yeah I was I was saying to someone the other day that the interesting historical parallel we may be, we may be witnessing here um, is Vietnam. You know, with an invading force like Russia, the one thing that's not being considered here is the resolve, which has been surprising and very noteworthy, of the Ukrainian people. Um, and the question, there's two things that you have to wonder playing out. One is, you know, the strength of that resolve by the invaded country, but then also the the morale of the invading forces. I, I haven't read much that's telling me that. Russian soldiers are very favorable to this conflict. I mean, national polling data in Russia, again, take it for what it is, doesn't seem to be very favorable for this conflict. And it makes me wonder, you know, how long does Putin hold on? Obviously, it's a stronger invading force that Russia has. But what is this? What is there to say about a, an invaded country where you, as you point, and I think that's one of the most important data points, you know, you have people, just ordinary citizens taking up arms that refuse to, that refuse to leave, that will you know, shout out to the Klitschko brothers, right? Like these people are not going anywhere. And history often tells us that in matters like this, an invaded country with that type of resolve isn't not necessary isn't necessarily going to fall, especially if the invading country doesn't feel unilaterally behind this. And to your point, and as you were saying before, while Putin seems to be very hell bent on the reunification of the Soviet Union, I do wonder is that troop support going to continue? Or are we going to get to a situation where you're going to have Russian forces you know, storming into to Ukraine, realizing those are also our cousins too? <laughs> like These right. are family relations. Again, these are all countries that have been together, similar to India and Pakistan as an example. And when the rubber meets the road and you have to pull a gun on someone that is you know, a second cousin or a relative of yours, how comfortable are you willing to pull the trigger? And that's something that may play out over time. But Again, you know, from where Putin stands on this, it's all systems go. But that's the parallel I wonder. Like this is it's terrain that the Russian army obviously knows, but I I do wonder like how long this resolve stands and the fact that it's there and the supplies are coming in. Does this come does this come back? Does this combat actually end up being more protracted than the Russians had envisioned? And that's a great point that you make about I, I don't think people understand how symbiotic or close the relationship is between Russia and Ukraine, this, not only the special relationship between the countries and the regime that was prior to uh, Zelensky, but and how close he was with Vladimir Putin, but then also the citizens, right? There are people that live on this side of the border that are Russian, that have family in Ukraine, et cetera, et cetera. I gave a, a, a real life example of a friend of mine, you know, who, who has a grandmother and an aunt living in Ukraine and then family living in Russia and then family that came here to the States. So um, they are very close uh, in, in terms of not only proximity, but family members. You make a great point on that. I want to transition to our second topic of the day, um, as and we'll do more on Russia and Ukraine in the coming weeks. We have another correspondent coming on the program uh, that, that will take us through that as well. Um, Florida's don't say gay bill, Nick. OK, uh, this is something that has come across, uh, you know, the the wire and something that Nick and I have discussed in a text chain. I wanted to bring it over here because obviously Nick has worked in education for so long and I'm currently living in the state of Florida. But before we get into the don't say gay bill, which by the way, it's not named that it's been dubbed that by critics, but the actual bill is the HB 1577 bill. 
Okay. Let's take into let's take you inside what it actually is, and then I'm going to play a clip from Governor DeSantis talking about it. But the Florida House of Representatives recently just passed this bill on Thursday of last week, limiting when and how teachers and school staff can discuss gender and sexual orientation in the classroom. Okay. So if you think about it from that context, right, that's what the bill overarching theme is. Um, the the Republican that sponsored the bill said. Uh, and this is uh, Representative Carlos Smith from the Florida State Legislature. He said it aims to have schools teach gender and sexuality at an appropriate age and also to keep parents informed about what's happening in the classroom. The legislation prohibits any instruction about sexuality or gender between kindergarten and third grade or in a manner that is not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students in accordance with state standards. It would also guarantee that parents access to their children's education and health records and require that schools notify parents if there's a change in the student services or monitoring related to the student's mental, emotional, or physical health or well-being and the school's ability to provide a safe and supportive learning environment for the student. Schools could withhold information from parents if they believed, if they believed that disclosing it could result in abuse, abandonment, or neglect. Okay, now obviously, there's been critics about this um, from from uh, uh, mostly from one side of the aisle, obviously from Democratic politicians that are in the state that are in the minority of the legislature. Um, President Biden has also slammed the proposal. Um, he recently said, and this is a quote from from one of his pressers. I want every member of the LBGTQI community, especially the kids who will be impacted by this hateful bill, to know that you are loved and accepted just as you are. I have your back, and my administration will continue to fight for the protections and safeties you deserve. Now, it's unclear. Again, it's passed in the House. It's unclear whether Governor DeSantis would sign the bill if it reaches him, but he did indicate his general support for it during uh, a, an, a, an event that recently happened towards the end of February. I want you to take a listen to this exchange between Governor DeSantis and a reporter that recently asked him about the bill and, and the intricacies and everything involved with the bill. Take a listen to this. Does it say that in the bill? Does it say that in the bill? I'm asking you to tell me what's in the bill because you are pushing false narratives. It doesn't matter what critics say. It says it bans classroom instruction on sexual identity and gender orientation. For who? For for grades pre-K through three. So five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, and. Um, the idea that you wouldn't be honest about that and tell people what it actually says, it's why people don't trust people like you because you peddle false narratives. And so we disabuse you of those narratives. And we're going to make sure that parents are able to send their kid to kindergarten without having some of this stuff injected into their school curriculum. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, first, let's, let's get into um, the realism. <laughs> if I have no better word for that, but let's get into what DeSantis was saying there. So basically he is right. The bill is not labeled. Don't say gay. That's not the way the bill was introduced into the house. Now, one thing I did want to note to you, Nick, and I had texted you this is that there are measures within the state of Florida currently at public schools for teachers to not teach religious 
like artifacts or, you know, religious instruction within the first couple of grades. Now, this is for public schools, again, not private schools, not Catholic schools, obviously, but this is more for public schools. So I spoke with a Miami-Dade teacher recently, and they said something similar, like, right, you know, they teach kindergarten. Uh, I can't do the Hail Mary right there with the kindergarten kids because it's a public school, et cetera, et cetera. There's different kids of different religions and faiths. That makes sense to me. Okay. I, I mean, I get that. Now, I want to get into before I get your takes on this, because I'm a parent of kids that are about to, you know, one's about to go to preschool in the state and then eventually, you know, start to make their way up the up the school system ladder here. I get at a high level, at a high, high level, I get the intent of the bill that in terms of, hey, I would like for kids that maybe are not cognitively formed at age four, five, six, seven to learn about, you know, uh, sexuality, right? Just, just at that basic level, just basic level. I, I, I get that. Do I need a bill to introduce that? I would think more common sense could apply there, but regardless of that, now here's the problem I have. And this is when we spoke with Mike Emanuel, when we had Mike Emanuel back on the program, Fox News chief Washington correspondent, we were talking about what was happening in Landon County with CRT and parents of those schools going to Mike and saying, my kids are coming back with literature or stuff that their teachers want them to learn about that talks about critical race theory. And when Mike asked them to produce that stuff, if you go back and listen to the episode, he said uh, they couldn't produce the material. So he never saw the materials, but this is what parents were telling him. Tree falls in the wood, nobody's around. Does it make a sound? like the, So if you can't show me the evidence of it, Similar to this bill, if you can't show me the school district that's teaching sexuality to five, six, seven-year-olds, why do you need this bill is, is the retort, right? Uh, and that's probably part of the retort, right? Then there's, there's critics on the, on the extreme of this that are part of the LGBTQI community that are like, hey, like this is ridiculous. Like I happen to be a, a lesbian woman and me and my wife you know, we don't want our kids to get bullied or picked on because this bill has been introduced. That's what a lot of proponents, I mean, opponents, excuse me, of the bill have been saying. And I totally get that. So I wanted to open it up to you because when I saw the bill today, and I, I just read you everything related in the bill, I encourage people to go check out an amazing article from Time Magazine that came out about, you know, this bill, the impact of it. NPR has done a great story on this as well. Shout out to the folks at NPR. You know why we're doing that. But um, it, it, uh, one of the things that um, when I saw this come across the scroll and then started to dive down the rabbit hole, it's like, and as my wife and I have had conversations, and like we mentioned, we live here in the state, we're thinking, you know, we're going to have a, a little one going into school soon and another one behind her. Um, I start to think about what curriculum will look like, right? But at a certain point, I can't just make up that something's being taught. There has to be some, some smoking gun here, right? Similar to a, a trial, right? We, we Direct evidence, circumstantial evidence. Right now, you're getting a lot of parents that are saying X, Y, Z, but they're not producing the evidence of X, Y, Z. And what's happening is DeSantis is in an election year. This is 2022. This is the midterms. There are some key states that are up gubernatorial races. DeSantis is one of them. And I think him being able to unify his base within the state so he can remain in control with bills like this that stoke up people of, of a, for an issue that is not happening or playing out in classrooms. Again, I would love to see the statistical data points or evidence that shows that kids ages five, six, seven, like he mentioned, pre-K to three in that clip, right? Where are they being taught sexuality? 
Where are they being taught about gender identity, et cetera, et cetera? It's not playing out in curriculum. Again, and again, you, you're more entitled to do more research on this. And we've combed through the different news services, and we're going to have another education correspondent to talk about this in the coming weeks. But we have not found what school is actually doing that. <laughs> of course, if they if we found that school, we'd love to invite them on to hear about that. But I, so are we are we sh- introducing a bill of nothing? Because it's an election year for DeSantis, and he feels like this will galvanize his base to go to the polls. I mean, I think that that's, in my opinion, in my estimated guest opinion, as someone who lives here in the state, as someone who's gotten, you know, uh, robocalls from his campaign office and things like that, I think that that's what's happening right here. And also, when I just point to speaking with different teachers across the state, uh, because I, I have, you know, friends all across from Jacksonville, Seminole County, all the way, you know, to the Tampa Clearwater area, and then people down in the Miami Dade area, I have yet to see evidence introduced of gender identity or sexuality being taught at the levels that he mentioned. But to the counterpoint, like I just mentioned, there is already something written into either a teacher's code of ethics or something like that within the state that you cannot teach religion at public schools within that same age demo. So I think this bill is modeled after that, if you're thinking about it from that lens. Nick, and now I turn to you for your expert educational analysis as uh, um, uh, can we please talks education expert Nick Saveri joining us here on the program. Tell, take me through a little bit of the bill when you saw the bill at a high level and then curriculum being taught. You work with a lot of school districts in the Southeast, Northeast, et cetera, et cetera. Give me, give me your takeaways. Well, first, you know, it's, it's hard to say that. Yes. I mean, I mean, one thing, you know, the time article I'm going to reference, you know, people have mentioned that this K three curriculum, you know, currently the curriculum doesn't have any reference to it. So this law doesn't really ch- doesn't change curriculum, which then begs the question: Well, why the why have the law? Like where this is that this seems to be the argument of well, we want to have this protection in place because we don't want children to be exposed to this. And my counter says is exposed to what? Because when you say something about gender identity, so my question, so something I wonder is, does this mean we're going to have no conversation of gender in classrooms? In other words, if you are showing a picture of a human being, you're not going to tell children what gender likely is that person. That's nonsense. Of course you will. It's going to be referenced. So really what this is saying is very likely we can continue to have conversations about gender identity as it relates to heterosexual people. Any variance to that, what would fall into the category of gay, lesbian, transsexual, what have you, that's what's considered abnormal. That's what's considered what we're not going to talk about. And then what I would, knowing that, what that means is you're norming this. You're basically using a heter, you're using a heterosexual norm to say that that's the standard we're comfortable talking about this from, you know, husband, wife, man, woman, what have you. Anything that varies from that is where we feel out of bounds. And then the question and something the article brings up is, well, what happens when you have a child of two gay parents? So they don't talk about this. The teacher's not allowed to speak to them about the fact that they have gay parents. What are you telling the child then? That you're, in essence, you're telling, and notice, Mike, what I've been talking about for the last couple of months has nothing to do with instruction. This is actually about how teachers and students interact with one another. And that to me is a social matter. That's not about teaching then. This is simply putting a safeguard in that says within the con- within the building that we call school in the state of Florida, you are not allowed to talk about this. 
And I would simply ask, what is the fear of that? What is the fear of of a student being able to speak to having gay parents or the student potentially even saying they're gay? Now, in a K-3 setting, any of these conversations come up, whether a student identifies, whatever gender a student identifies in a K-3 setting, who knows? But do children from grades kindergarten through third or pre-K through third have gay parents? Absolutely. Yeah. And if you're then saying that they're not allowed to talk about that, you're not going to apply that same standard to children who come from a heterosexual couple. And immediately, the second you've introduced that, what you've now said is, if you are the child from a gay family, there's something wrong with you because we can't, we must ignore it. And to any person who's ever come out of the closet and then suddenly been shunned by their family, congratulations, we've now brought that same ethic into a classroom. Right. And I would ask why, what is the point of that? And notice that part of this law also, once again, empowers families. It empowers parents to be able to go to local law enforcement and not so much law enforcement, rather. Yeah, um, no, I, I was. I'm, it's what a perfect segue, because I was just going to read it for you. The, the bill also creates a new avenue of litigation, similar to like we mentioned about Texas bill on the abortion stuff and how you can sue here. You can it allows parents to to sue the school district if they believe their children were provided inappropriate instruction about sexual orientation or gender identity. Again, I go back to that example with Mike Emanuel. He asked these parents, again, he sat in on these town hall meetings and he met with parents and then he said, okay, show me what it is instruction wise. And it was vague ambiguities. It's like, you, you got to give the evidence if it, and again, yeah, my, my hope is that if you do decide to sue your school or your teacher, you damn better have evidence on curriculum that says this was what's being taught. You right. better have bring something in there aside from your child in a, a kindergarten to the third grader saying, well, they talked about gay and that right. that's it. And notice, Mike, this is this is, seems to be the move by some Republicans. We're we we can only do so much at a state level, like in Texas with the abortion law. But what we're going to do is we're going to deputize citizens to go after these institutions like doctors and now in schools. Fascinating. What elements of society conservatives want to go after? It's I see fascinating, you know, jokingly, but we know who this is. We're talking about medicine and we're talking about education, which to, seem to be two pillars that conservatives like to attack all, an awful a lot these days. Yeah, yeah. The, it's 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 just alarming. It's alarming that this is even a conversation. And you know, to those who criticize the bill, you know, it begins in a K three setting. But what's going to happen when the, when we talk about this potentially being extended to upper grades. Now, that's not what the bill is supposed to do right now, but I'm not comfortable with the fact that we're trying to limit what, 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 what well, here, words well, how pissed I am. I, you know, the other thing that speaks to this, Mike, is that yeah, it's also getting into a place of, and I, I was trying to say this before, but I'll restate this, is you are now applying a norm in a classroom. You're simply saying that in matters of gender, we're going to apply a conservative standard. We have men and we have women and we have heterosexuals. Anything that's to the variance of that, we don't talk about that. Right. And immediately in, a, in the 21st century, when people are feeling more comfortable coming out, when children have openly gay parents, we're telling those, those students that you don't matter, that you must remain in the closet in this classroom, because as a teacher, I'm not allowed to even entertain this conversation. Way, you know, few many episodes back, Mike, you know, we had someone who talked about teacher retention and the challenges of that. We're seeing all kinds of data 
that the average length of teachers tenure in schools is just lessening. People are leaving the field. And these are one of the reasons why you keep limiting what teachers are allowed to talk about in classrooms. And I keep asking what the hell for, what, what is this having to do with the upbringing of a child? And if you happen to be one of those people that feels as though, well, you don't want a classroom to be the space where your child learns about gender. Then I would say that's nonsense because you probably have already introduced it to them by the clothes you've purchased for them. And the, by the way, you talk to them. Right. So now suddenly you're worried about school producing any type of effect to this way. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. Yeah. And this is a protective measure, allegedly, for the fear of LGBTQI. Yeah. And I would Can ask, why, why the fear? What, what brings that about? And again, it always comes back to bigotry. You are not comfortable. DeSantis, Republicans are not, at least in this case, those who put forward this bill, who those who support this bill, Correct. are not comfortable with what they would consider alternative lifestyles. And that's simply a form of bigotry that you're trying to now maintain. You're trying to establish a stronghold in under the guise of we're, we're protecting our kids. We, we actually uh, reached out to a, a Florida state senator, uh, Mike Harvey, uh, who I, I believe he's running for re-election in the state. Um, so we're waiting to hear back from him to come on the program because uh, 2022 and he's up for re-election and we wanted to get his takeaways on some of this. But um, I'm, I'm with you on, and I'm glad you clarified about that there are, there are, I believe, some Republicans that are probably not you know, are opposed to this because just by the sheer numbers of the people who voted for the bill within this, the House legislature, it wasn't fully passed by all Republicans. So I'm glad that you said that one. But two, um, yeah, who who needed this legislation? Who was sitting there saying, I need for kids from ages four to seven to not learn about certain things that are not being taught in schools? And like you said, if I was a teacher, forget about uh, instruction and curriculum. It's walking on eggshells for what could be perceived. I could say something. And like you said, this bill deputizes people to say, hey, I think my kid's learning something. I'm going to sue the school. And who do they take that out on? The teacher. And now I'm not making any money as a teacher already in the state, right? So until I make tenure. So why would I want to stay in the field? Retention, like we talked about, a lot of people are leaving the workforce. We are going to cover more of this bill. And also, as we get into the later months, the summer months, re-election campaigns, we mentioned the midterms are coming up. Governor DeSantis is up for election here. We're going to have some people on from the state that are covering not only local politics, but national politics, because bills like this in the different states are, you know, are going to really be at the forefront of why you should vote for XYZ candidate. Nick, I know you had one more thing on this real quick, but before we, we take a yeah, break. The two things. You know, one is this is personal for me because uh, one of my daughter's best friends um, has two mothers. Um, and I think about them as I read this article and to think of them as any less as amazing parents, <laughs> amazing women, um, to think of them as anything less than that is, is offensive. Uh, it, it feels inhumane at the same time, you know, the article from time references Senator Travis Hudson, who had put forward, you know, in, in a Senate hearing, you know, back in February, gave an example of a math problem. You know, that talks about, well, you know, if Sally has two moms or Johnny has two dads, you know, this is what this is exactly his quote. This is exactly what the bill aims to prevent. And once again, I would say, why are you denying the existence of gay couples? Yeah, what that's bullshit. That makes you what that makes you uncomfortable. That's Not bullshit. Even what of that? It's bigotry. No. It's simply bigotry. And this is the law that you're trying to use to continue to stamp out 
the gay agenda, the quote unquote gay agenda. This shit's come back, Mike. This is what we saw in the 90s previously. And conservatives are just finding new ways to just try to say to people, well, we don't, you know, as heterosexuals, we're not comfortable with that. So we're going to make sure that through elections and voting, we're going to make sure that we don't have to, we don't have to enter, we don't have to address you as human beings. You don't exist in these classrooms in the state of Florida. Right. That's what I mean. Uh, it's not your lifestyle. Like let people be like, what is it? It's not, it's not even about lifestyle. These are, these are people. No, you know it, what I mean? Like, not, I'm no, talking I know, about I know just mean, in terms of, yeah, like to, to these folks, it's yeah. the idea of, yeah, it's choice. It's the, all, it comes always back down to the idea that to look at someone who is gay or transsexual, they are, they are, they're different. They are choosing this and that's offensive. You right. come back to this narrative that everyone's born a certain way. That's that's horseshit. No, I agree with you, hundred um, percent. We're gonna we're gonna do more on on not only this bill, but like I mentioned, uh, that state senator. Uh, hopefully, we'll have get to have him on uh, in the coming weeks. I love saying in the coming weeks because it's very vague. I, I think I picked that up from <laughs> former President Trump. Yeah, well, yeah it's very well soon. We're gonna have it very soon. Coming soon. Uh, listen, that's my Trump. Uh, as we go to the commercial break, when we come back after the break, listen, we got to get to work. Okay, according to Kim Kardashian, more on that after the break. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know, what's easy bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or renters insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. This episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast is presented by Bones Coffee, the official presenting sponsor of the Can We Please Talk podcast. Nick, now we've had the coffee. All right. Before we, we lied. We lied. We didn't have the coffee. We thought it was good. Now we've had it. It's delicious as hell. But tell the people why they should be ordering Bones Coffee. I'm going to keep this short because I, you all know I'm a coffee nerd. Uh, let me put you like this. It's smooth and delicious. Yeah. And flavorful. Like you can, one of those three often falls apart when we talk, when you talk about coffee. Folks, my style is I grind beans the moment of, got the hot water going, French press. Mike's got one now because I refuse to let him live that Keurig life anymore. Although the Keurig version of Bones is legit. It's amazing. It's they they translate really well. But freshly ground coffee, what Bones is doing with their flavors and their single origin coffees are amazing. And their shipping is fantastic. It gets there quickly. But most importantly, folks, it's great coffee at a great price, but the price gets a little better. Why is that, Mike? That's right. Because if you go to BonesCoffee.com right now, and they've been featured everywhere from Forbes, Women's Health to Hello Giggles, they have all of this fantastic coffee, 12 ounce bags, sample packs, single serve, K cups, like Nick mentioned. I offered, I ordered, excuse me, the Cinnabon, Sin S I N N, so a clever play on words there. And I'm telling you, this coffee in the K cup machine smells delicious and it tastes good. I am not BSing you when I say this. You go to BonesCoffee.com right now. You order whatever you want. They got gears. They got mugs, apparel, tote bags, hats, in addition to fantastic coffee like Nick just mentioned. And then at checkout, little promo code box, 
type in can we please talk all one word you're gonna get 15 percent off your first order just like that head to bonescoffee.com right now all right nick our final segment today uh we alluded to it earlier about kim kardashian if you don't know what i'm talking about it's always one of two things right you've been living under a rock or you're just not paying attention to kim kardashian you don't follow anything that that family has done or produced uh kudos to you uh i wish my wife would take that same advice but kim kardashian recently uh was on the cover of variety magazine um and recently gave an interview with a couple of her family members talking about who knows i have no idea but it went off on a tangent because the one takeaway from this quote and something that variety ended up tweeting out was kim's takeaway on people in the workforce nowadays not wanting to work now i thought about you know we've talked about good journalistic integrity here and you know p- prisoners of sound bites and clips I try not to do that here on this show. I try to play the full length thing so you can hear it out. So with that in mind, I would like for you to hear what Kim fully said around this. And if you hear another voice in the video, that are her sisters talking. Khloe Kardashian is also in the video talking. And I believe Courtney and the mom are all there, but they didn't say anything. But Chloe is the secondary voice that you hear. So when you listen to this clip and you're like, who's that voice? That's Khloe Kardashian. But take a listen to what Kim Kardashian originally said in full length. I have the best advice for women in business. Get your fucking ass up and work. It seems like nobody wants to work these days. You That's have to, so true. You have to surround yeah. yourself with people that want to work. Have a good work environment where everyone loves what they do because you have one life. No toxic work environments and show up and do the work. If you're the smartest person in that room, you've got to go to another room. Like you don't, I want to be around really successful people because that's going to drive me to be successful. A lot of people get intimidated to be in a room full of smart thinkers, wealthy people, whatever it is. I want to be in that room. Because it also like scares you to want to be like to be like the motivates you and inspires person. you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I gotta hustle. So <laughs> but I, I think be also back in the yeah. room because and get you see everything on social media and you think, oh, it's just a lifestyle or oh, it's like really quick and easy and you can just post something and it's not easy. When you do product shots, when you do post things that are work related posts, it's still a job and it's still really hard. And success is never easy. So you just if you put in the work, you will see results. It's that simple. Yeah. Um, well, listen, (laughs) when we were talking about this, I wanted to, I wanted to do this in like a serious tone because here's the problem, right? Uh, you and I are going to have hot takes about this, but then there's also the part of it of, um, from a societal level, I, 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 I said this a bunch of times, actualities, generalities. So let me speak about actualities within me right now. Right. (laughs) You know, I grew up middle-class family on the lower end of middle-class family, right? Both parents working collectively, they make over six figures, you know, not living in true poverty, but living the paycheck to paycheck life that politicians like to, you know, quote and stuff like that. And now gradually was not handed down anything from either a grandparent or something like that. So some type of revenue that could get me off my feet, student loans when I came out of the gate, you know, because I used a private loan company that I couldn't consolidate. So I'm paying just as much for rent as I am for a student loan payment. You know, I'm making collectively 20 an hour between my two jobs at Fox News and, and WR Radio. Um, that is true work and grit. But Kim Kardashian, 
who inherited a rumored $100 million trust fund when her father, Robert Kardashian, passed away. And that was shared amongst her siblings. Obviously, you know, Chloe and Courtney and their brother, Rob. So the four of them, um, I don't know if you can give us advice about how to actually work when you've been handed a financial wherewithal to be able to uh, tackle hits and misses, right? Because uh, in terms of whatever you want to branch out to do, and obviously we know the different things that she's done in the beauty space. Uh, she gets paid for paid appearances and stuff like that. And and her money has grown to where her net worth is now $1.6 billion. Kudos to that. But you still started with an inheritance that made you a millionaire before having to ever do anything. We don't fault Robert Kardashian for working hard to become a lawyer and put himself through law school. We don't fault him for that. We don't fault them for leaving his kids an inheritance, but it's always lost on Kim to be able to mention that, oh, by the way, I did start with an inheritance and I was able to do things like this. Um, One of the other pushbacks that a lot of people have said about that quote was, are we going to talk about the sweatshops where some of Kim's clothings are produced at and, you know, the amateur, you know, wages or excuse me, the, the bare minimum wages that are earned there in Turkey and China where you can avoid American labor laws. Um, so there's she's been sued recently as well um, by a former, I think, investor or somebody that worked uh, for her. So they do uh, in 2000, 2018, there were job postings for unpaid internships at one of the family's communications company. So, I mean, you talk about you want to get your ass up and go to work, but here you are circumventing labor laws, paying cheap wages, paying no wages and unpaid internships to people. I don't know how serious I can take something like that when you have all of those data points that show you you're staying rich by not shelling out some of that money to pay some of your employees. When you heard you and I, uh, I know you texted me back. What quote? <laughs> when when I had told you about this quote, and then started making the rounds and trending on Twitter. Um, first, give me your takeaways on on not only the quote, but in the context of people don't want to work. People don't want to get their ass up and work. We have seen, to Kim's overall point, I don't think she was trying to make this. We have seen labor t- statistics of people not rejoining the workforce recently, right? Because we've seen with the government extending payment programs, you know, or or giving out aid. And during the initial parts of the pandemic, people were not returning to work. They were like, hey, I can make just as much money. My company just laid me off. They gave me a good severance. Now the government's giving me a couple stimuluses. I'm covered where I don't have to. And then you had the, the Biden program that came in that was giving monthly uh, checks to, to families. Hey, I, I'm making enough here where I don't need to return to the workforce. And I sure I know I know the labor statistics kind of back that up for, for previous years, maybe not so much this year. Um, so maybe that was part of her overall point. But I don't think it was because just hearing her in interviews and sometimes her going off on tangents, I don't think that that's what she meant to do. I think her big thing was maybe uh, cycling back in her mind a, a real time example or two of somebody that she's interacted with that was maybe lazy to a certain extent about whatever it was that they were dealing with. And so she kind of brought that into the conversation. And then you have Chloe's point about being the smartest person in the room. Now, I can half agree with that. If you are the smartest person in the room, maybe you need to you know, surround yourself with other people. Um, 
my question would be, I would love to see what room she's in because what's the makeup of that room? I would argue it's not about smart. It's about representation in that room. So you're getting everybody's kind of viewpoint. It doesn't necessarily have to do with smart or stupid. It has to do with who's in the room that represents X, Y, Z, which is why you've seen them get criticized for certain choices that the family has made about certain things and doubling down from whether it's Travis Scott and what happened, you know, with Astroworld and, 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 you know, obviously the Jenners involved there, you saw the Pepsi commercial, you know, with, I forget which Jenner that was, if it was Kendall or uh, Kylie, yeah, it was Kendall, you know, with, with what she did with the Pepsi commercial. Yeah. You've seen now this, this magazine article and, and what Kim just said about the working class and all, all the turmoil that's happening with her and her ex-husband and Pete Davidson. I mean, all of that, are different instances of things, but it's like you can't get your own uh, situation in order, at least, you know, on the surface to the public, right? You're in the in the publications week in, week out, but yet you're telling us you need you, we need to work harder. Uh, something's not adding up here. So give me give me some of your impressions from from the quotes that you heard there of the full clip. Who would have thought Kanye was the more sensible one of that couple? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, listen. We yeah, could, I'm kidding. I'm kidding though. So I, I have I have all kinds of issues with Kanye too. Although shout out to the doc on Netflix. That, that that's actually really good stuff. So um, I've heard it, yeah. Yeah. Now it's you know it's interesting. You know, as we've had this conversation, um, and we've done this through text, I'm not necessarily bothered by by what Kim said, and here's why. If I took that whole conversation and I had that said by people who work, say, in a nonprofit. Uh, people who say work in a hospital in any other professional setting, we'd hear that and say, yeah, that makes sense. You know, the idea of being surrounding people who are quote unquote smarter than you. I mean, that's stuff you've heard from Warren Buffett. You know, I've got management books behind me. I'm pretty sure <laughs> that people have talked about this. Like you want to be around people who push you. That's really fundamentally what we're talking about here. It, smart, intelligent. That's all you can always measure that in so many different ways. It's not even worth sort of talking about what you ascribe to intelligence here. Um, but to be surrounded by people who who question you, who um, who push your thinking, that that's a wonderful thing. It's what you should have in a partner. It's what you should have in the people you work with. Um, you know, Kim's what Kim had said about you know people don't want to work. Um, well, I would say that that's that's a failure on you as a boss. Then, like if you aren't able to motivate people, well, now yeah, maybe you have some people who are not motivated, and they may need to leave your company. But that's also a failure on you as a boss that that's what you spotlight in people. If you're too busy looking around to see people who are not showing up, quote unquote, but you're not focusing on you know the people who do deliver, the people who are growing, or what you're doing as a leader to help them grow, then you're focusing on the wrong thing. Now, I say all that because of what I just did, and here's this trick I, I do again, like in isolation, that's what I like to say. And I took that entire conversation and I put it into different spaces where if you were to hear that, you would say, okay, I, I understand that. I, I personally don't like the idea that you're going to, that this argument, like, well, pe some people don't want to work and some people don't want to do the work. Yeah, maybe so. But I, I mean, what we've seen in the pandemic, um, what we've seen with people just juggling all kinds of things, you know, I, I question what we mean by work here. You know, you and I are parents, you know, we're also employees. Um, the concept of work is 24 seven for us, other than the time our children are sleeping and we're sleeping as well. You know, everything is a job. Um, so I, yeah, but to bring that into the place of the Kardashians, this is where you do get hit because as a family that, you know, is the recipient of generational wealth, 
something that as the kids, none of you have actually contributed to. Like you walked into this. This is the classic case of waking up on third, you know, waking up on third base and thinking you hit a triple. Like right. your dad brought you this stuff. You know, Mike, I complained to you all this time, and I'll quickly share this with the fans, the listeners of the show. Fans, that's so presumptuous. But of course, yeah, seriously. Listening. Five star review. Uh, but um, you know, I've talked about this in the sports area all the time. Like how many you know, sports franchises are just handed down generation to generation to people who don't really deserve them, who simply are just the genetic material of a previous person. Shout out to the Yankees. Um, and, you know, and to hear any one of those folks say, what's well, about working hard and getting to where you got to go? It's like, well, no, like you just inherited this. You inherited a sports franchise. You know, to the Kardashians, it's the same thing. Like you basically walked into wealth. Donald Trump got hit for this previously, right? Like he downplayed, you know, how he had to work to where he was as a real estate tycoon and overall con man. But it, are we going to forget the fact that your father basically handed you a fortune? And it's the same thing in this case too. So I think it's important to consider the messenger here. The message itself is debatable in terms of what elements of truth there are. But to hear that family of all families talk about the importance of work is laughable at best. At the same time, you brought up some really important details about the work, quote unquote, that goes into the products that the Kardashians put out there. So when we talk about items being created in sweatshops, we talk about um, you know these things that are being created. You can really ask yourself the question that the people in that room that were talking about, quote unquote, work, what do you all do? I know the people who work under you, what they're doing, everyone who, who designs your clothes, who's posting your pieces on social media, who's helping to build your brand. I get what they're doing. I don't have a damn idea what any of those people in that room are doing, except for posing for videos and you know, pontificating about the value of quote unquote work. Mike, for the life of me, I don't know, aside from being famous, what discernible talent that family has. I have no idea. I, I don't I don't know what the products they sell. I guess it's beauty stuff. I've never bought anything from the family. I've never been marketed, thankfully, right. not been marketed stuff too. So I don't really know. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I understand the sentiment there, but I I really call into question the per, the person who's saying that. Yeah, I there's a joke from the roast of Donald Trump, the Comedy Central roast of Donald Trump that Seth, Seth MacFarlane said, we're here tonight to honor a man who, you know, made millions of dollars in New York state real estate and was, you know, a pillar of the community, et cetera, et cetera. Unfortunately, that man is dead. His name is Fred Trump. Um, and it, <laughs> it, it made me laugh because it is true. Fred Trump left, you know, Donald about $830 million in an inheritance. So like to hear, you know, Trump say, you know, working hard and stuff like that, it's very tough to, you have to have some type of acknowledgement, right? This is self-awareness, right? And I think that's at the core of people's argument is that Kim is just not self-aware. Like when you make a quote like that, when you feel like, well, I've taken it from a hundred mil, whatever that was spliced out between the four of us splitting it. And I've turned it into 1.9 billion. Yeah. I mean, there is some level of, you know, you did work or at least make smart decisions that didn't uh, force you to lose, you know, the initial money that you got from your father. But at the end of the day, you still were gifted 25, 30, 40, whatever it is, millions of dollars. Um, and that is a safety net, right? That is a safety net where you can make sound strategic decisions that don't put you back at bankrupt, right? You know, it's way different than me with, you know, 100, 200 grand 
and you with, you know, 30, 40 million dollars, like those are different types of decisions that we can make in terms of where we want to get into the business wise. You mentioned clothing line. They do make some popular clothing line stuff, some cosmetic stuff. Those will not be promoted here on this show, not because of them, but because <laughs> that's not, you know, the audience or the or products that Nick and I are are using commonly. So we're not going to talk about that. Instead, you can get bonescoffee.com, get the best coffee out there. Uh, Shout but out. in all seriousness, like um, I totally get um some of the vitriol kind of aimed at Kim in terms of like, hey, listen, th- those who live in glass houses, do me a favor, don't throw stones over this way. So I I get that aspect of it, but at some point, you know, uh, I think self-awareness is something that that family kind of lacks. And I think at this point, too, if you think about it, to quote Kanye West, right, wait till I get my money right, then you can't tell me nothing, right? And so I think they're at that point right now where you really can't tell that family anything. But you know who you can tell? You can always tell us. Email us. Can we please talk podcast at Gmail. Dot com. Our money's not right yet. So you can email us if you've got some qualms to pick with the show. If you want to get something off your chest, a topic that you want us to discuss, or even a guest you want us to have on the program, email us at can we please talk podcast at gmail.com. The video clips of all of our interviews live on youtube.com. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel, audio podcast platform. Leave us a five star review and comment, please. Shout out to ACAST, our hosting platform. Uh, in the coming weeks, we will have new episodes. Coming up, we're going to do more on the Russia-Ukraine. Like I mentioned, uh, somebody that was recently in the region and covering this on the ground. We're going to get more into that. And also, a sitting member of Congress will be on this program in the coming weeks. So we are very excited for that. Uh, As always, I am Mike Leon. Proud to do actual work with my partner, Mike. I'm Nick Saveri. Thank you so much, everybody. We'll see you next time. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 